Today we are in Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. The title of the message today is Life Interruptions or Divine Appointments? Question mark. So let's pray and then we'll dive into this. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, that you do run after us, um, that you love us enough that you don't leave us in places that are not good for us, that you come, that you stir, that you try to rescue. Lord, you left heaven to come to this place and rescue us from ourselves and from our sin. And I pray today that as we look at your word, that our hearts would be stirred and encouraged, um, that we would learn a little bit of what it means to um, just be open to the leading of your Holy Spirit. And so we give you this time now in Jesus' name, amen. I have a question for you. How do you deal with life's interruptions? When you have something to do, when you have somewhere to go, when you have something to accomplish, and something or someone interrupts your plans, how do you deal with that? How does that affect you? Because it happens, I think, more often than we would like, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about, that you, those life interruptions? I know for me, I used to, when that type of thing would happen, I mean, it, it could ruin my whole day. I'd get anxious. I'd get flustered. I'd, I'd get perplexed. I'd find myself wondering, how am I now going to accomplish what I need to accomplish? Because everything just got messed up so to speak. That's how I used to deal with those type of things. And what about you? How do you deal with life's interruptions? This is what I'm learning right now. And it's not that I have it completely down, but I've been learning this. This is our big idea for today, is that life's interruptions can lead to divine appointments that can turn into life-altering moments. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to see an example of this in the life of the Apostle Peter today. So let's begin reading here in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily, everybody say daily, at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk." And he took him by the hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and then they knew that it was he who sat begging at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Pause there and give me your attention. Verse 1 gives us the setting for this miracle. It happens as Peter and John are on their way into the temple at the hour of prayer, at the ninth hour. 
And it's interesting here that we find the apostles continuing in the normal routine here of Judaism, because in Judaism, they would go and pray in the temple three times a day. So why were they continuing with this this discipline or this routine? And the answer is this, is Christianity was not meant to replace Judaism, it was meant to fulfill it. And the apostles realized that their new faith and their old disciplines could walk hand in hand. That there were aspects of Judaism that would serve them well in their following of Christ. And so they continued in some of these disciplines and going to the temple during these times of prayer was one of them. But this whole idea of going to the temple to pray had taken on a whole new meaning. You see, religion was replaced now by relationship. The the practice had been replaced by a person. And for the devout Jew, there was really three special hours of prayer. It was 9 a.m., noon or midday, and at 3 p.m. And 3 p.m. was the ninth hour, and it held a special place in the hearts of the people because that was the hour that Christ died. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he, he hung there for six hours, and on the sixth hour, it was the ninth hour of the day, he cried out and said, it is finished. It was a victory cry. He was crying out, mission accomplished, that what he had come to do in giving his life to pay a price for the sins of humanity had been accomplished that day when he hung there on the cross. And so at that moment, the Bible tells us something radical happened. That when Jesus cried out, it is finished, the veil that was in the temple it was a big, thick veil. It, it, it stood like 75 feet high, and, and, and it stood between the holy place, one of the, the first rooms in the temple, and the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was the place that only the high priest could go into, and only on one day out of the year. It was the Day of Atonement, and he could only go in after he had first offered up sacrifice for his own sins. It was very, very serious. It was there in the Holy of Holies that the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. And the veil hung there as sort of a wall, as a do not enter. But when Jesus cried out at the ninth hour, it is finished, God reached down out of heaven and tore that veil, the Bible tells us, from top to bottom. And it was God's way of saying, open house. Anyone can now come into my presence. Anyone can now come through my son into this place of of dwelling with me. It was open house. It was open access. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews invites us. He says, come now, because we have this amazing high priest in Jesus, come boldly into the throne room of God. The Bible says that there is now one mediator between God and man, and it's the man Christ Jesus. And the apostles realized now they didn't need a priest to go in before God uh, to them, but they could come themselves because they were coming through Jesus Christ. So they were on their way. This is my point. They were on their way to do something that was very, very important to them. And no doubt some of the other apostles were already there waiting for them and other people who were a part of the church. And that's when it happened, this interruption. There was this man. 
They're at this gate that they were entering, and he's begging. Now, this guy was smart. He picked a great place to beg for several reasons. It was called the beautiful gate for a reason. It was really, really pretty. It was a gate that Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us was 50 feet high, 40 cubits wide, and it was overlaid with Corinthian bronze. So it was this beautiful, beautiful gate that they would enter to. And because it was so beautiful, it was the the most popular. And a lot of people would come through that gate. So he was putting himself in that place where the most traffic would come through. But begging at the entrance of the temple was also smart because of the Jewish religious system. You see, in the Jewish religious system, you had all these people that were seeking to earn their favor with God by their performance. And so what, be- what better place to go and beg than this place where people are coming in hoping that their performance that week had been good enough for them to meet with God. And so what better place for them to come and go, you know, here, here's something and say, God, did you see what I did on my way in? You know, and that was the, that was the idea. It was a great place. And our text tells us that this man was placed there every single day. So you could say this guy was a fixture, but it had gotten to the point where a lot of people weren't seeing him anymore. They were walking right past him, and no doubt Peter and John had passed by him as well. He was there every single day, and this was a part of their normal routine, but today was going to be different. So this man was begging for alms when he notices Peter and John. Look at verse 3 again. It says, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. And so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. I want you to notice, first of all, that Peter didn't look away. That's often what we do when we see somebody in need, right? We look away. We want to pretend like they're not there, or we want to pretend like we didn't see them. Peter doesn't do that. And in verse 4, notice it says, fixing his eyes on the man. The New Living Translation puts it, looking intently. The NIV says he looked straight at him. The ESV said he directed his gaze at the man. And here's principle number one if you're taking notes. Life interruptions become divine appointments that can lead to life-altering moments when we don't ignore the needs of others. You see, before we can be used to meet a need, we have to see the need. We can't ignore the needs that God places in front of us. It's one of the reasons why I pray almost every single day, God, today, give me your eyes and your heart toward the people that I'm going to come in contact with. Help me to see them, in other words, the way that you see them. Before we can be used to meet needs, we have to see the need. I want you to notice also that Peter says to this guy, look at us. Now, why did Peter do that? Why did Peter want this man to give them eye contact? Well, I want you to picture this man for a minute. He's probably in his 40s, and he's been being brought to this 
place every single day, our text tells us, for probably 20 years. Think about that. He's been lame since he was born, and probably around 20 years old, they would bring him to this place, and he's been going there every single day. He's been placed in this this position to beg. And maybe at first, there was a sense of desperation and hope that he was hoping, maybe just some of these people are going to be kind enough to help me. But after years and years and years of being overlooked, Years and years and years of being ignored. Years of feeling the shame that this is the only way he even knows how to exist. Years of feeling like a pain and a nuisance to his family or friends that had to bring him there every single day and set him there and come back later in the day and pick him up. I would think that this guy felt very dejected. And so his head was probably down a lot. It was easy to just keep his head down and beg and not notice the people that were ignoring him and looking away. So that might have been part of the reason why Peter said, hey, look at us. But I think it's more than that. I think Peter says, look at us to, to, eventually, to essentially say, do we look like guys with money? You know, if it was today, Peter might have been pulling his, you know, his pockets out of his pants and saying, look, I don't have anything. And the text supports that because the text says, Peter said to him, silver and gold, I do not have. He's saying, look at us. We don't possess anything in and of ourselves to help you. And I think there's an application for us in this because we live in a broken world. This is something the Lord has been impressing upon my heart a lot lately. That all around us, every single day, we are surrounded by people who are broken. People who have been broken by abuse. People whose lives have been broken by addiction. People who have been broken by divorce. People whose lives have been broken by a bankruptcy or a betrayal. All around us are people who are hurting because somebody has let them down. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a church. Maybe it was their employer. And who hasn't felt let down by the government lately, right? People all around us are hurting and are broken and they're carrying the pain of their brokenness that translates in a lack of trust and in a hurt. And people spend their days just looking for coping mechanisms to hide the pain, to hide the brokenness. And some hide it very, very well. So Peter says, look at us. And I want you just to take a moment right now to just look at us. Would you just take a minute and look around the room? Just look at who's sitting next to you. Just, just take a minute and look around. I, really, I want you to do this, okay, please? Would you just take a minute and just look who's in this room right now? Look at us. You see, what do we have? What do we have in and of ourselves to help this hurting world? And the answer is, not much of anything. I'll get to that. (laughs) I said, in and of ourselves, we don't have much of anything. We don't have enough money. 
We're not smart enough. We're not talented enough. We don't have anything in and of ourselves of any substance to offer to a hurting world. It's one of the reasons why when I look at the needs here in North County, or I look at the needs in our city here in Vista, I get overwhelmed. Because in and of ourselves, we don't have anything of any substance to really, really make a difference. But notice verse 6 again. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but catch this next phrase, but what I do have. I love that. You see, Peter did have something. He wasn't empty, and neither are we. We have something of infinite worth. We have something of infinite power. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. That's what Peter had to offer to this man. And guys, we have something, really someone that the world needs the most. We have Jesus. So here's what we need to understand. Life interruptions become divine appointments that lead to life-altering moments. First of all, when we see, when we don't ignore the needs of others. And number two, when we learn to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You see, what made this day different is not only that Peter saw the need that was in front of him, but he also responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And listen, you want to help broken people? It starts with seeing the need. And oftentimes it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one that puts the need right in front of you. He's the one that brings the need to your attention. He's the one that begins to stir your heart to reach out and to respond in love, and to give grace to that need that was placed in front of you. And listen, the interruption only becomes a divine appointment when you respond to the Holy Spirit. A few years ago, back when we had our Saturday night service, we were wrapping up, we wrapped up the service, and my wife and I were here together that night, and we were closed up the building, and we were heading home, and we got in our car, and we were driving through the parking lot, and we headed toward this driveway right here. And as we were getting ready to, to go out and get into the left-hand turn lane there to head home, right as we were pulling out, there was a young couple walking down the sidewalk that turned into our driveway at that end over there. And as I pulled out, my wife said to me, hey, did you see that young couple? Looks like they were headed to the church. I said, yeah, I saw them. And there was a pause. (laughs) Like she's waiting. Okay, you saw them. And she says, "I, I think we need to turn around and go see what they need. And my response was, really? Because you see, I was tired and I was hungry. And I wanted to go home. So then my wife said, yes, really, I think the Lord. She's throwing the Lord into it, you know. (laughs) I think the Lord wants us to go see what the need is. So we turned around. We pulled in. And sure enough, they were in a really, really bad place. They were homeless. And as we were talking with them, 
we discovered that they really just had a desire. What was really on their heart was they were trying to get, I think it was to Nebraska, where they had family that lived there. They had a house that they could stay in. He had a job that was lined up for, for him. So we took him and went and got him, went and got some food and listened to their story a bit. And, and then we went and put him up in a hotel nearby here. And I told him in the morning, I said, somebody's going to come and pick you up and they're going to bring you to church. And after our church service, um, we'll talk about, you know, this idea of seeing if we can get, get some bus tickets for you guys to get to Nebraska. So they came to the service. And during the service, at the end of the service, and you know, I don't do this a whole lot, but on that particular Sunday, I just felt led. And I didn't even know that they were here at that moment. I didn't know which service they were coming to, but they happened to be here. And I gave an altar call, and they came forward and gave their life to Jesus. Yeah, it was amazing. And afterwards, we ended up talking, and we got them bus tickets, and they went off. And we sent them to where they needed to go. And about eight months later, I got a letter from the girl. And she sent to tell me and just to say thank you because she, they had a house. He had a job. They were doing great. They were involved in a church. And they were expecting their first child. <laughs> and just to think, I almost missed that because I was too tired and hungry. This divine appointment that God was putting right in front of us. And thank God that my wife is much more spiritually sensitive than I am. And, uh, you know, she, she was in tune that we needed to do that. And, and I'll be honest with you, there's been, there's been other times where I haven't responded. But man, every single time, it's amazing. There's been a couple stories like that of people that we've helped out in, in that type of way. But here's the thing. Life interruptions become divine appointments that lead to life-altering moments when we see the need that God puts in front of us, when we learn to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And here's number three, is when we realize that we have what the world needs. You see, that couple didn't just need bus tickets. They needed Jesus. And God put us in their path on that particular moment so that they could come here the next day and meet Jesus. And that was the purpose. Guys, we have something that the world needs. Again, look at verse 6. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And then it says, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his, his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Notice that. It says immediately. The idea in the Greek is instantly. Everything came together. And I want you to remember, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, he was a doctor. And Luke actually uses some medical terminology here when he says his feet and ankle bone receive strength. Literally, it's medical terminology to mean this, that the joints snapped into place. The tendons and the muscles instantly became strengthened. That's what happens to this guy. Just like that, in a moment, he has the strength to walk, and he's walking and leaping and praising God. 
The story is a reminder to us that we have something to offer to a broken and crippled world. And what we have to offer them is Jesus and the message of the gospel. We may not have money, we may not have resources, but we have Jesus. And we need to share him with a boldness. See, Peter believed that Jesus could heal. And we need to believe that. But not everybody gets healed. But I'll tell you this, everyone who believes does get transformed. And that's what we need to understand. So this interruption in the life of Peter and John becomes this divine appointment that leads to a life-altering moment. So now what I want to do is let's consider whose life was altered by this moment. Well, obviously the lame man was altered. His life was changed dramatically. He goes from being on the outskirts of the temple every single day, being on the outskirts to life with God, to becoming a worshiper of God. He's walking and leaping, and it says he entered. And I want you to picture this. For the very first time in his entire life, he's now entering into the temple area of God. He'd always been on the outskirts, but now he's entering, he's coming in, he's going with them to worship God. Guys, we need to not take for granted the life we have in the Lord. You know, I was checking into the, at the gym that I go to a couple weeks ago, and the gal at the desk, real sweet, sweet gal who, who works there, she says to me, hi, Rob. She goes, hey, I listened to your sermon um, last week. I was like, really? I said, how? And she goes, well, Rachel, another, she, goes, she, she invited me over and we watched it together. And she goes, that's the first time I've ever heard a sermon. This girl's like in her 20s. First time she's ever heard a sermon. She goes, that's the first time I ever heard a sermon. She goes, it was really good. You like, you like know your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, thanks. I'm like, you need to come and and hear one in in person sometime, you know, get the whole experience. But isn't that crazy to think about? Something that we take for granted. Some people have never heard. This guy had never, ever been able to go into the temple. And now he's going in, he's walking, he's leaping, he's praising God. And it's true that not everyone who gets prayed for gets healed physically. But it's also true that everyone who believes in Jesus as their Savior, everyone who surrenders their heart to Him, there is an immediate change and transformation that occurs. There's an immediate cleansing as their sins are forgiven and forgotten. There's an immediate change in their destiny as they go from being on the road to hell to now being having a place in heaven. Their whole, uh, there's a whole change that takes place in their standing with God. They go from being a stranger to now a friend and a family member. They go from being on the outside to now being on the inside. They go from being in darkness to now being in the light. Paul the Apostle put it so well in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he said this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that change is immediate. In your standing with God, in your destiny, in your purpose. And so the lame man was altered. I think Peter, his life was also altered. 
You see, Peter would learn from this experience what was possible when he responded to the Holy Spirit and stepped out in faith. In fact, I believe in this very moment in Peter's life, he was filled with what the Bible calls the gift of faith. That he had this special just sense of faith that when I reached out and grabbed this guy to pull him up, that he was going to be healed. I mean, I can just picture a conversation between him and John later, and John going like, I can't believe you just reached out and picked that guy up and pulled him up. And, and Peter would be like, I know, but I just had this sense that God was going to do something. It reminds me of a time... When Pastor Chuck was still alive, Pastor Chuck Smith, who pastored Calvary Costa Mesa for a very long time, and it was after a Sunday night service, and a, there was a family that wheeled their father up. He was crippled. He was in a wheelchair. And he wheeled him up to ask Pastor Chuck if he would pray for their dad. And so Pastor Chuck began to pray, and as he was praying, he just got this sense of this gift of faith. And he did what Peter did. He grabbed the guy by his hands and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He pulled him right out of his wheelchair. The guy was completely healed. The family was just blown away because they were bringing their dad up to ask Chuck if he would pray for him because he had a cold. But here's what happened. Oftentimes when God moves in that type of way, people are like, oh, that guy has the, he's got the gift. So a couple weeks later, here comes another family with their relative up in a wheelchair. <laughs> Would you pray for him? And Pastor Chuck prayed and he didn't, you know, pull him up and he just prayed that God would heal him and touch him in the name of Jesus and amen. And, you know, the family went away kind of sad, I think, afterwards. And, and somebody asked Chuck later, go, they said, how come you didn't, you know, pull him? He goes, because God didn't give me the gift of faith. And that's what happens. And, and, and with all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there is a stepping out of faith that is connected with it. I think Peter, he had this, this, he got that gift of faith. And so Peter was altered. He would learn from, from this what could happen when he responded in faith to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And listen, do you want to be used radically by God? Learn to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. When God prompts you to help somebody in need. When God prompts you to go share Jesus with somebody that you're sitting across the coffee shop in. Or somebody that you work with. You know when that happens. Suddenly there's this prompting. It's like God's saying, I want you to, I want you to go tell them about me. And your heart starts pounding like, really? Is that really you? Yeah, it's really him. The devil's not going to tell you to do that. <laughs> Go tell them about Jesus. <laughs> no. Or, or how about this? When the Holy Spirit prompts you to give somebody a call, to just say, hey, just call and see how you're doing. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me where God just is pressing my heart. You need to call so-and-so right now. And you're thinking, that's so stupid. They're going to think I'm weird, you know? And, and, and you call them. And sure enough, it's like, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm having the worst day, or, or I just went through this heavy thing. I can't believe you're calling me right now. It was the Lord, it wasn't me. Life gets radical when we learn how to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And know this the more that you respond, the more you'll be used. Because the Lord is looking for willing vessels.
So this event would literally become a catalyst for boldness in the life of Peter and John. And we'll see this in chapter 4. They end up, after this event, getting arrested and beaten and warned and threatened. Don't tell anybody. We're going to let you guys go, but don't tell the people about Jesus. And they said, sorry, but we, 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 can't, we have to obey God, not men. And Jesus did something in our life, and he did something in this guy's life, and we have to share it. So Peter's life was altered. The lame man was altered. But you know what also was altered? Was the crowd. Look at verse 9 again. It says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were, catch this, filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want you to note three things real quickly about how the crowd was altered. Verse number one in verse 10, we're told they were filled with wonder. The idea is that there was a sense of awe and reverence that drew them closer to God. That they were like, this, this, this was a God moment. Number two in verse 10, it says they were filled with amazement. The idea is that they were ecstatic. So they literally go from being like awestruck to excited. Like this is incredible that they saw God working and they were just blown away by it. And in chapter four, verse 21, it tells us that they glorified God because of what he had done. And then in verse 11 of this chapter, it tells us that they were greatly amazed. And the idea with that is it means that they were just astounded. It's like mouth wide open, just like pinching yourself. I can't believe what we just saw. And this whole scene, we'll see this next week, leads to another sermon, the second sermon in the book of Acts that Peter's going to preach. And after this sermon, 2,000 more people are going to give their lives to Christ. We saw in the first sermon back in chapter 2, he preaches and 3,000 people get saved. Well, after this event, now the church is 5,000, 2,000 more people get saved and come to Christ because the crowd was altered. So the lame man was altered, the Peter was altered, and the crowd, they were altered. And so as we wrap this up today, here's what we've learned. Life's interruptions can lead to divine appointments that can turn into life-altering moments. And that can happen for every single one of us when we realize, first of all, that we have what the world needs. We've got Jesus. It can happen for each one of us when we learn to just slow down a little bit so that we can see the needs that God is putting right in front of us. And he might be putting the need right in front of us because he wants to use us. And so we need to stop. And we need to pray. And we need to ask, Lord, are you giving me a divine appointment? Now, I want, again, I want you to remember, Peter and John, they've passed by this guy before. Probably many, many times. He's there every single day. They went to the temple for this hour of prayer all the time. Jesus himself probably passed by this man. Because Jesus also followed that same discipline. And when he was in Jerusalem, he would have went to the temple and most likely passed by this guy, but didn't touch him and didn't heal him. Because the divine appointment was 
at this moment. And it was God wanting to work and use Peter's life. And guys, when we learn to stop, when God puts a need in front of us and to ask, Lord, is this a divine appointment? Lord, is there something that you want me to do? That's when the Christian life gets exciting. As we learn to respond in that way. And God uses your life to alter the life of someone else. And you know what happens? Your life gets altered in the result of that. And the people who are around you, the people who are in your sphere of influence, they are filled with a sense of wonder and glorify God. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this amazing story. And Lord, I pray that from this today, we would, we who know you here would find ourselves just looking at the interruptions that come into our lives through a different lens. That we would stop, that we would slow down, that we would pray. Because we know, Lord, that we do have what the world needs. That we have the answer for a broken and crippled world. And it's Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to slow down, that you'd help us to respond in faith to those promptings so that you could use us to see a life altered. And our life would be altered in return. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you choose to reach broken people with broken people just like us. I'd like us just to keep our head bowed and our eyes closed right now. Just remain in this attitude of prayer for a moment because I believe that there's someone here, and it might just be one, one person That your life has been interrupted this week. Something happened that stopped you in your tracks. You got some bad news. There was a tragedy. Maybe a betrayal. A hurt. And that's how you ended up here today. Today is your divine appointment. This message was... For you. You see, God sees you and He loves you. 